Hello, thank you for joining us. My name is Holly Mangram Willis, and I am the Senior Program Manager for ISACAS Foundation, One in Tech. Joining me today, we have a very special guest, Mr. Ali Pabrai from EC First Inc. Hello, sir, how are you? Holly, so excited to be here with you on this ISACA podcast. Very excited about the opportunity to listen and learn. So it's great to be here with you. Thank you so much. I am over the moon excited. And you know what? We're going to jump right in. So I'm a curious soul. When I was reviewing your material and seeing like, who is this Ali fella? Um, I saw that the, the your company name was all lowercase. EC first is all lowercase. Is there a reason why? And would you mind explaining it? Yeah, no, that's a good question. EC First has been uh, around for some time since 1999. And I think if you go back to the late 90s, e-commerce was a big thing. So uh, EC comes from e-commerce. And uh, my partner, we decided to just keep it all lowercase because everything with email addresses was all lowercase. So that's kind of where it came from. I like it. Functional, functional. It, it, it makes sense. I, too, like to be more efficient so we can get to the effectiveness, right? Yes. Uh, so that, that totally makes sense. All righty, so let's, let's, let's hop into your background. Tell me a little bit about yourself, how, you know, your journey to being this industry leader in compliance and cybersecurity. Yeah, that's a great question. And just very quickly, you know, I was, I was born in India and uh, did my high school in the Middle East in Dubai, United Arab Emirates. And it was back in 1983 that I came to the US to study and uh, was doing computer engineering at Clemson University in uh, South Carolina. So first generation Indian American, very excited, you know, with my roots in India and my life in the US and uh, just just learning every single day and giving the best I can. Awesome. So when when did you realize, you know, cause it, it, it's, you have a story journey, right? That in, involves moving, immigrating, coming in touch with new cultures, learning things in different ways than what you were used to. But at what point did you realize you were destined for cybersecurity? Like this this was going to be your your magnum opus, right? Yeah, and I'm <laughs> I'm more excited than a two-year-old kid looking to enter Disney for the first time in terms of cyber cybersecurity. I'm so passionate about it, so devoted to it. When I graduated from Clemson, it was back in 1986, my first job in uh, America was, with, was in Chicago, Fermi National Accelerator Laboratory, also called Fermilab. It was a Department of Energy nuclear research uh, facility. I was a young guy back then and uh, working with the IT department. And there were some projects in information security at that time at the laboratory. And they said, Pabrai, we'd like you to kind of help with some of these areas. And that's how I first got to understand the security aspect in terms of technology and also the people element tied into uh, security. At the same time, when I was working at Fermilab, I was going to school doing my master's degree in electrical engineering at IIT, Illinois Institute of Technology. And my advisor asked me to pick a topic for my thesis. And given what was happening at Fermilab and kind of my area of interest, I said, why don't uh, Unix was an operating system uh, with TCP IP as a, as a protocol. 
And I said, I'd like to center my thesis around securing Unix systems on a TCP IP network. And that's kind of, as I, you know, I thought when I graduated uh, with my bachelor's degree, I knew everything. And the more I dug into it, the less, uh, the more I realized, the less I know about there's so much to learn in the information security space. And I was fascinated uh, with it. And I've been learning every, ever since. So, so you said something like that just captivated me. Can you take me through the landscape at the time? Was it groundbreaking for you to explore the security of such a popular system at the time? Yeah, now when I look back at that time, I didn't realize it. But now when I look back, the there are two things that stood out. Number one, the dominant operating system was Unix. And I was studying the inside out of the Unix operating system. And then the other thing is the communications, the language of communication, just like we are talking in English, the language of communications on the internet was uh, TCP IP, Transmission Control Protocol, Internet Protocol. And the marriage, the fusion of Unix and TCP IP was the area of focus of my thesis. And, and that was a book I eventually ended up publishing called Unix Internet Working, which came out after the book on, uh, I forget now the sequence, on HIPAA. But yeah, that that was very new, very emerging area. And uh, and then I started teaching at that time. I, I used to teach a three-day class on TCP IP Internet Working, Unix Internet Working. And the questions from the students forced me to really master that subject uh, deeper than I thought I would ever. And so that helped a lot. So what types of questions were you getting from the students that, that were unexpected, that, that ended up being critical to, to the way that we think about security these days? Yeah, Lord, you know what? You know, I had my own script and the PowerPoint presentations that I had put together. Right, and I would right. be presenting. And then there would be these questions that would come up and I would like, I don't know the answer to that question. <laughs> you know? right. I got to I got to go back and research that and and um and as I started researching different questions that came up from different people across and I was presenting all over America in different mm -hmm. cities the three day program training program it forced me to really you know it's like it takes you 20% of the time to get 80% done but it takes you 80% of the time to get the last 20% done and I think my mastering came about as a direct result of these questions from uh, the students that forced me to study the operating system more, study the network protocols more. So I dive deeper into TCP IP. I mean, I knew, and, and also in, in those days, Network General had a product called Sniffer. And I spent time at the lab, at Fermilab, looking at packets on the network. I would literally spend hours and days and weeks studying all the traffic, hexadecimal, going on the network to understand the fields, the packets, the structure. And then can I figure out the password just by looking at the packets being transmitted without actually logging in? Can I figure out other people's passwords? And a lot of the communication inside networks is unencrypted. And so if you know what you're looking for, you can find it. And that, that's what really le led me to better understand communications and transmissions on the on the internet. Wow. Okay, so so that leads me to my next question cuz it it sounds like you were able to identify like the more 
you dug into the subject, the more students asked questions, the more you were able to identify vulnerabilities, right? Yes. So let's let's transfer that to current day. What do you think is the biggest challenge the world is facing in terms of cyber cybersecurity right now? And and I, to, as a follow up, how has it evolved from when you first began study? You know, that that's a really, really good question, uh, Holly. So I think, and I always make the connection between, and may, maybe this is right, maybe this is wrong, I don't know. But I always make the connection between cybersecurity and the human body. And what are our human defenses to protect, protect the human body? And then what can we do in the cyberspace to protect the assets that potentially could be could be vulnerable. I think the, the biggest thing that I've seen over these last decade or two is the evolution of compliance standards, regulations that have come about that require organizations to take cybersecurity more seriously. So uh, one example is HIPAA, the Health Insurance Portability Accountability Act. I live in California and California, like many other states, has many state-related mandates, so the federal mandates, state mandates. Those mandates are now requiring businesses to at least have some basic cybersecurity capabilities. I think the biggest change, I would say, between then, a decade or two ago, and now, is organizations are beginning to take cybersecurity more seriously than they've taken before. Having said that, I think we are still very vulnerable I still think we have a long ways to go. I think there's a lot of opportunity in this space for uh, the young generation, for the 55 plus generation, for people, minorities, women. I think huge, huge opportunities in this space for the next decade or two. Oh, we are going to touch on that in a brief moment, but first I have a follow-up. So you talked about how you study the human body and correct me if I'm wrong in my assessment of this, but attempt to mimic the way that the the body responds to protects itself, attempt to mimic that in a cybersecurity space um, without giving too much and, and creating more vulnerability to our <laughs> cyber infrastructure. Can you talk about, you know, a specific immune defense function that you have translated into a cybersecurity operation? Yeah, that's, uh, boy, uh, Holly, great questions, uh, uh, forcing me to really, really think hard. So if, if you think of uh, the pancreas, uh, for example, produces insulin, right, mm -hmm. when we consume any food or, or whatever, uh, and that's an auto-response coming from an organ in our body. And if that organ is not functioning appropriately, now you've got uh, disease challenges like diabetes, and then within diabetes, you could have type one or type two, depending on you know what's going on with the pancreas and all of that. And and then that's one example of an organ and, and the auto response system tied into that. I think the other broader thing in the human body is the immune system. You know, I'm not a medical student. I, I was just studying it to learn more about how do how does the human body react to things that we are alive and not dead. And 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 a lot of things are happening you know, that we don't know about. And that's where I was trying to think of in terms of cybersecurity, because one of the biggest challenges we face even today, and we faced it for a long times to come in the past, is when an organization gets attacked, when, when there's an event inside an organization, it is taking the organization a long time to figure out that there's been a cyber event 
and that the hacker or the attacker has compromised some assets inside the organization and the organization is not even aware of it. And if your organization is not aware that there's a vulnerability that has been exploited and you've been compromised, then at, at that point it's game over uh, because the, the attackers have ac access and they can set up backdoors, um, install malicious code on critical systems, and it just becomes very, very difficult from that point on. So the one lesson, um, Holly, that that I was beginning to learn many, many, many years uh, back, the human body has an auto-response, real-time auto-response capability. And the cyber defense capabilities of small businesses, medium businesses, large businesses cannot operate at the speed of humans. We are too slow in, in terms of just discovering these cyber attacks that are taking place and what may have been uh, what may have been exploited. So there's got to be there's got to be some capabilities, some security controls that we have to implement, that we have to integrate inside the fabric of the enterprise ecosystem, the computing ecosystem. And I think that's where that near near real time, real time auto discovery, emerging fields like threat intelligence, where we get advanced warning about threats to the computing ecosystem become very important for cyber defense. And I think that's where there's, I, I still think we are in the early days of cybersecurity, even though we've been at it for a couple of decades. That makes total sense. And I, I get what you're saying now, because I was asking about maybe like a direct one-to-one -one correlation, right? But what you're saying is that the human body has an automatic response and cybersecurity wise, in some cases, we're not responding at all. And so that's that's where the, the, the immaturity comes from. And we've got to attempt to get to a spot where you see X, we know that Y is the response. Yes, it has to happen automatically. And in yes. most organizations, even today, it's taking organizations days or weeks to learn yep. Oh, there was a cyber attack that took place because there was a patch we had not implemented that's been exploited. The hackers were inside the network, exfiltrated the data, and now it's game over. It's too late. Well, yeah. Okay. That makes total sense. So, so it, in keeping with the human body, um, I also read that you are the father of a neurodiverse son. And um, I thought it was interesting that, that you mentioned um, being a father as, a, as an accomplishment because it, it definitely is. And so with your study of the human body and understanding just how we respond to threats, in the same way, how has your child's neurodiversity helped you in your career in creating safer, more compliant infrastructure? You know that's a very good question, and I, I and thank you so much. It's an it's an area I never thought I would learn so much about, and I'm still learning. Uh, I'm still in the early stage of it. But my son is 19. He's got autism, and he's had autism from a very early age. And for someone like myself who speaks at conferences all over the world, and I'm so passionate, my son has very limited speech. My son is very intelligent. He just he just cannot articulate. And I'm a very impatient person. And I think if there are two things I have learned uh, from my son with autism, it's a very complex condition, uh, mm -hmm. neurological uh, condition. You know, I've learned to be patient and I've learned to be, 
to persevere, to keep trying to help him uh, to realize the potential that is in him. And I think those two words, patience and perseverance, I would echo to every professional, especially in the cybersecurity field, is that this is not a battle that you're going to take on today and you'll be done with tomorrow. It's ongoing. It's going to continue. You've got to be very patient and you've got to be very persistent, persevering uh, to ensure that you've got active controls, what I call robust and roving controls that are operating at the speed of light, monitoring for the type of threats and all of that. So I learn a lot from my son every day, uh, very close to him. And uh, uh, but yeah, that that was, you know, another lesson uh, for me. I love that, that patience and perseverance, because, you know, and in, in what I have found in, in being a part of this larger ISACA community is that when when we're talking to tech professionals, oftentimes things are black and white, right? It either is or it isn't. But to apply something as subjective and as really and truly hard, right? But like, like it could be mentally, emotionally a cha challenging to persevere and to be patient in this space because with technology, we're used to everything moving at the speed of light, right? But now it pays to slow down, really assess and create those controls so that we can get closer and closer to this automatic response that you're talking about. That is an incredible soundbite. Thank you, patience and perseverance. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And so when we so when we talk about perseverance and in a common thread that I've heard you talk about through since we've been speaking so far is education. And I think, you know, education is a part of that persistence and perseverance, right? So how how do you, outside of your your schooling, you've got some certifications, an impressive list of certifications. So you know how do you prepare for those exams? How do how do you choose which exams and certifications that you're trying to see? Take us through just your continued upskilling and persevere. How how do you persevere in your study of the space? Yeah, so, you know, and I and I think uh, I'll take your question, Holly, that's a beautiful question. I'll take it a step further in the mm. sense that this is a field that you have to constantly keep up with because the technology is changing. The way we are being attacked, both in, from inside the U.S. and also globally, the you know, the attack surfaces are just increasing. The other day I was just reading, I think in one of the uh, Wall Street Journal or some other place, that... Today, there are over 75 billion, 75 billion devices that are connected to the internet. And there are about seven, seven and a half billion people on earth. So that's about 10 devices per person. The attack surfaces are increasing and the way the attacks take place are changing. So whoever is going to be successful in this field I, I'll tell you, will not be successful if they are static. So you have to constantly learn. You have to constantly reimagine. You have to constantly rethink. You have to constantly re-educate yourself in terms of what are the changes happening in the, in the computing ecosystem. So for example, it used to be everything was in a data center inside an organization, but today now all of the data is out in multiple cloud service providers that may be all over the planet. 
And then on the other end of the spectrum, you've got mobile devices, right? And these mobile devices are getting more capable. And that comes into contact with a lot of sensitive information. So that learning path for individuals to be successful in the cyber security field, I think is very critical. And so keeping up with certifications and credentials, and ISACA does an amazing job because of the certification programs that ISACA has built, and ISACA is always continually improving and updating that curriculum. And then there are uh, additional certifications. Uh, CompTIA has a certification called Security Plus. I have, within EC First, built some certification programs myself because I saw some areas of yes. gaps, efficiency. Awesome. Uh, and I love to teach. I love to educate. I love to learn. So uh, I think you just have to keep keep at it, keep pushing yourself. So how did you become involved with ISAC in the first place? Yeah, I, 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 was I was teaching three-day classes all over the country on TCP IP and Unix and all of that. There must have been an email or something that came across about an ISACA conference or event. So I applied to that. I completed the formalities. And I was praying I would be selected as a speaker. And I did. I don't remember the first conference, but I think it was 10 or 15 years ago. I think it may have been ISACA North America uh, that I spoke at. And I was shocked at the number of people at the ISACA conference. There were hundreds and thousands of people at the events and then so much opportunity to learn and network. And since that time, you know, I've been speaking at ISACA events worldwide. It's been a great experience and I'm looking forward to the continued journey in the future. Listen, I was excited to, to, to speak with you because I came to understand that you, sir, are one of ISACA's top rated speakers globally. So what an achievement, what an accomplishment, and thank you for continuing to provide education, learning, and best practices and updated best practices on this journey. I mean, to, to, to hold that title after 10 or 15 years, you're doing, you're, you're not only talking the talk, you're walking the walk. And so thank you very much on behalf of ISACA. We appreciate you. Holly, I, I cannot thank, I, there's no organization like ISACA on this planet because ISACA has a global platform and ISACA op operates across these continents. I just spoke recently, and I speak at a lot of ISACA local chapters. I get invited to speak at a local chapter, and there was an event in Pune, India, Pune, India, uh, the annual ISACA Pune uh, chapter event, and they asked me to be the opening speaker for that. I was very humbled at that, at that opportunity. And in India, as you can imagine, you know, even when you go to McDonald's, there's no, there's no beef burger. The staple diet in terms of what comes close to the McDonald's burger in India is what is known as vada pav. It's a vegetarian potato patty with bun. And I told the Pune audience, I'm looking forward when we are past these virtual conferences where I can be in person in India with them and share a vada pav where we are presenting. So I learn a lot from different cultures, uh, South Africa, Egypt, Ghana. It's just been amazing. Oh, that's fantastic. That is fantastic. So part of what ISACA does too is that, uh, as I mentioned earlier, we have a foundation called One in Tech and it is our mission to remove barriers for marginalized populations, for underrepresented populations to enter and accelerate through the world of digital trust in the security space, right? We do that work through scholarships, through toolkitting, through our gender initiative, She Leads Tech, 
what else do you think is needed or needs to to grow in order to help the next generation of industry leaders? Because as I'm sure you're aware, I believe we have like a, a million, just in, in the United States alone, there's a one million job gap from the availability, the, the jobs that we have available versus persons to fill it, right? And knowing that folks are excluded from the pipeline very early in their education journeys, you know, what, do you have any prescriptives for what could help close that gap and get more diversity and inclusion in all levels of digital trust? Yeah, digital trust, I think, is a, is an ISACA mantra that is echoing Absolutely. across the industry, and it's becoming Absolutely. a global phrase everyone is uh, connecting with. And I think there's a huge, and you're right, uh, a million plus jobs and uh, possibilities in the cybersecurity space itself. And people don't know, I think there's a lot of, when I'm presenting, most of my audience, it's men. I see very few women in my audience. And, and then when I'm presenting, I see very few people of color in my audience. And then I see very few people who are 55 or older in my audience, right? So I think when I look at these three dis distinct population segments, I think there's a huge opportunity for them if they knew the how to navigate the path about uh, the opportunities that lie in this field. Because if you look at the 55 and older, they have the experiences. They may not have the expertise, but they have the experiences to learn and come into this field. The young generation, especially those in their high school, it's a great opportunity for them to at least know what is cybersecurity? I think there's a lot of confusion. How do I get started, right? What's the first step I can take to get into this field? And then the other big one, women. I mean, talk about gender inequality that is there in the cybersecurity space. I talk about that at my conferences, would love to see more women enter this space because there's so much opportunity. And the more diversity we have in this space, the better solutions we will be able to implement. And, and I want to introduce another phrase, which should be the, the strategic objective of every individual, of every organization, which is cyber resilience. So there's never going to be an organization that's going to be 100% secure, but you can achieve cyber resilience where you've got the appropriate capabilities implemented to deter successful attacks into your enterprise. And I think that's where these different population segments and genders can make a big difference. If I'm understanding you correctly, you're saying that having diversity of thought from people of all walks of life at all levels of enterprise is probably the first and arguably the most important step to creating cyber resilience. Yes, yes, absolutely, uh, Holly. We need to reimagine, we need to rethink and I think to, to have women, uh, to have the young generation, uh, to have the older population, all, all see the opportunities here because we can all collaborate and new ideas, fresh ideas, uh, way to reimagine things, uh, open up new possibilities, you know, and, and the jobs are there. I think a lot of people struggle with making the connection between how do I get started? What do I need to do to be successful in this space? So tell me, what, what do you think? What, what, what do you think newcomers can do to help advance their professional careers? How can, how can they get started? Especially, in a, and again, we're talking about opportunity for untapped talent, right? So how do we 
bring what we have over here to the folks who are available and ready and willing over there, right? Um, what, what, what prescriptive do you have for that? Well, I think your conferences, you, Isaka and forget, and you may edit this out, but Isaka is like an octopus with a trillion tentacles all over the world. Absolutely. Okay? And there is no other octopus on this planet like Isaka, okay? Mm. Because you are a global brand. I mean, I don't know even if Isaka knows the power of the brand Isaka. It's in every country. It's, I think when you have your conferences, to reach out specifically to these segments and give them incentives to, end, to come into these conferences because they will hear from so many different speakers. They will feel the energy and the possibilities of this field to, to take the next step, which is then to pursue certifications. But I think the initial thing is to give them exposure, make them understand. And I think your conferences provide a fabulous uh, platform for that. It's not tomorrow, but it's on Thursday. Uh, I'm traveling to Phoenix to speak at a ISACA ISSA event, and it's a local chapter. And I love presenting in person at these local chapters because it gives me a chance to network, to learn, and to have more people attend uh, from these different uh, population segments, I think would, would be huge to bring new people and new possibilities into this, into this field. Absolutely. So what, do you have any other notes of advice for newcomers to the field and it could be simple something as simple as don't buy the books <laughs> or you know just do everything online but do you have any you know things you wish you knew when you uh were entering this space and finding your way through yeah i mean i think back when i was there there weren't these conferences and local events and all of that on cybersecurity. I think it's very important for people to reach out to the local events so because they get a chance to listen and hear uh, to speakers. I, I think those are very important. Those are there in just about every major city in the country now with all these cybersecurity events uh, to participate on in, in them. And then uh, pursue these certifications. I, I cannot emphasize the certifications are very important because they're very targeted and very focused. And, and, and to have a game plan that this is not something you're going to achieve overnight. It will take time. You will have to be patient, you will have to put in the time to study and understand, but to make that journey uh, so that you're uh, achieving those certifications. Thank you for that. And can you talk a little bit about the role of mentoring in all of that and how that can also help in someone's journey to in digital trust professions? Yeah. And I think it can be the reason mentoring is so important is because the, the field can be challenging. It can be overwhelming uh, because there are so many different areas within the field of cybersecurity, right? You could specialize as a firewall system engineer. Uh, you could specialize as a penetration tester. I mean, there are at least a dozen or more specializations within the field of cybersecurity. Which one are you going to be better at? I think having a mentor understand your skills, your strengths, and then provide that guidance, provide that oversight in terms of what, what may be the certifications to pursue and all of that becomes very important. So mentoring is important, you know, to help the individual understand what are the possibilities in this field, what are the opportunities in this field, and then what are the areas that align with my interests and my strengths. Okay, all righty. So thank you for, for <laughs> that wealth of knowledge and for sharing, you know, your 
remedies for some of some of these gaps and to get us to a safer digital world, right? And so I'm gonna switch gears a little bit and, and focus more on you, sir. Can you expound a bit upon EC First? Tell us what you do there and you know significant accomplishments of the organization. So we are, a, thank you. Uh, we are a small business. We've been around since 1999, very focused on the crossroads of cybersecurity and compliance. And we have clients all across the U.S. and, and globally as well. We, uh, In the DNA is a certification training program that we've developed, and we perform hundreds of thousands of assessments to identify security gaps and vulnerabilities that organizations should remediate. That's the core space of EC, of EC First that we are in. And I see my role as an enabler, uh, the individuals who work inside the organization and those uh, clients that we work with is to help help them better understand with the limited resources and time, how can we be more efficient and effective in implementing cyber defense uh, capabilities? But that's the space that EC First is in, is in the crossroads of cyber uh, security and, and regulatory compliance. So you're in the space of that automatic response and building that automatic response like the human body. We, we, we at least try to identify the security right. controls that could have an impact. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it's a, it's a journey, and, and I think we are getting better at it. Uh, but yeah, we really want our clients to have, a lot of organizations today have a reactive program. And I think yes. successful organizations in the cybersecurity field are those that are thinking ahead and are more proactive. Absolutely, absolutely. Isn't that the name of the game in most industries is to <laughs> yes, move from yes. reaction to pro being proactive? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah. there's not a performance evaluation that that doesn't pop up on. Yeah, just thinking, just thinking ahead and thinking. Absolutely. Through, you know. Right. Absolutely. Um, so you are a published and accomplished author. And it, to my shock, you know, one day I woke up, I, I went to the doctor's office and it was Hip of this, hip of that. You got to sign this form. You got to do this. Hey, you can't, your mom can't call because she doesn't have access to your medical information when you're in the hospital. But you are the first published author on the subject of HIPAA laws. What was that experience like? Yeah, you know, it was, it, it, it happened by accident. I was pulled more and more into consulting projects uh, with clients that wanted to establish a HIPAA compliance program. And I started to see a lot of deficiencies and some problems were similar, some were different. And that's what I put together in my travels. I used to travel a lot, spend a lot of time in the air and I like to be very busy and I love to write, I love to speak. And I started writing about my experiences how to put together a HIPAA compliance program. And that's what led to the book, Getting Started with, with HIPAA. It was published, I think, two decades ago or something like that. But yeah, that was the first one. And I, there were a few other titles after that. Right. Oh, that is incredible. It's almost like this, this was a hobby because you're just so fascinated with the space that there yes. was more opportunity for to produce and provide learning and research. And thank you for that. Thank yes. you for your commitment yes. to this space. I appreciate that so much. No, thank you. Who are, and uh, as, throughout your journey, I'm sure you've come across a lot of people. I have heard that you are the definition of six degrees of separation. You are the networking king. How? Who are some of the most influential people that you've come across in your travels? 
you know, I come across people of across different industries, across different continents who think very differently, uh, all kinds of people across my across my travels. Some are very much on the technology side, some are very much on the business side, some are very much on the government side, but just come across many different, uh, very diverse population of individuals that I've been humbled to communicate with, network with, and all of that. So many different people, and I'm always... I'm always looking to take that extra time to spend with them, to listen to them, to learn from them, to understand their challenges, and to see if any of my experiences could could make a difference. You know, when I'm in the Middle East, I had my I completed my high school in Dubai, and that was a very different experience. When I came to the U.S. and I did my bachelor's and master's degree here, that was a very different experience. And then presenting at ISACA conferences from continent to continent. That was a very different experience. And you come across different people in all those travels. So that makes sense. So because you've met so many people around the world, you personally understand the benefit of a diverse and equitable and inclusive space where everyone gets to share their experiences. And that could lead to that cyber resilience that you talked about earlier. So that makes sense. Mr. Ali, we could sit here for another hour and I would still be as intrigued as I was at the start of this conversation. And all that means is that we have to connect again and and do another installment of this. And so um, I want to thank you for your candor and for sharing your path. I wanna end with a thought provoking question. So if if you'll allow me, if in 150 years, Science fails to save us all, (laughs) climate change. And all that is left (laughs) is a book about your life. What would the title be? You know, I'm I'm very, that's, that's a very intriguing question. I'm very influenced by my son who has autism. And there are three words that resonate for me with him. And that impact my professional life in the cyber field as well. And I think those three words for me that I think about at the start of my day, at the end of the day, during the day, the first one is prayer. You know, all of us have unique strengths. All of us have unique strengths. And in the field of autism, every child, every person with autism is different, is unique. And you've got to identify and discover what are their unique strengths. So I think prayer to, to be able to do that. Patience, like I mentioned earlier, because you can't rush through a solution. You have to be patient. And I'm, I have been a very impatient person. So it's forced me to kind of slow down and think hard. And the third one uh, word, which I mentioned earlier, perseverance, and I adapt that to my life, is just be very focused and keep things simple and persevere. So prayer, patience, perseverance. I think that's those are the three words I, you know, I'd, I'd close with in, in response to your question. Great question. So- so friends, um, with, I, I, I encourage you to trademark this because I, I see the title, Prayer, Patience, and Perseverance, the story of Ali Prabai's journey through cybersecurity. Trademark, don't take that, friends. It's his, it belongs to him. <laughs> Isaac just wants 3%. No. <laughs> be, be excited and think about the journey from Bailey's to mojitos and everything else in between. Life is too short and give the best you can to everything you do every day. 
Absolutely. Oh, this was an incredible conversation. Thank you again, Ali. I sincerely appreciate you. Friends, if you would like to find out more about Ali, you can click the link in the description below. If you would like to find out more about ISACA or One in Tech, those links are in the description below. Thank you again. We appreciate you. And until next time, friends, take care and stay safe.